Anybody want to be with Jesus today? I mean, I in the world that we live in, it's difficult for us to see how things in this life add up. But I want to encourage us today that the things in this life, when we're suffering, when we're struggling, when we're going through difficulty... The things in this life add up because we serve a king. And we serve a king who holds everything in his hand. See, earthly kings, they barely know what's going on. Queen Elizabeth, she doesn't have a clue about what's happening in England. But this king, this King Jesus who we serve, he is in control of every single thing. So to be with somebody who is in control of everything. We, we all like to be around people who are charismatic and who've got things going on. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're about. We want to be around that person. But to be with somebody who's in control of everything, the very air that we're breathing right now, it's because of Jesus. The sun that's shining through these windows is because of Jesus. The ability for us to lift our voices and sing is because of this king. So I just want to be with him. And you know what? He gives us that opportunity each and every week to come before his presence, to come and sing to him, to come and worship him, to come and exalt his name. And he gives us that opportunity throughout the week as we have the opportunity to go to groups together and, and be with other believers. He gives us that opportunity as we get to look at his word and to hear his voice speaking to us. We get to be with him. So I'm, in, I'm encouraged today. I'm deeply uh, excited about Jesus today. Anybody excited about Jesus? I know y'all excited about y'all 76ers right now, going to the playoffs and going to the second round, but we want to be excited about Jesus today. We're jumping in this week. My name is Pastor Derek Parks, and uh, I have the privilege of being the uh, pastor of Epiphany Church of Wilmington, um, and it is my privilege and honor to be with you today. Uh, we're so excited that you've joined us, that you decided to be with us today. So for our first-time visitors, we say welcome. We're so excited that you're here with us. If there's anything that we can do to make your visit with us more comfortable, you just let us know. Uh, I'll send somebody to go wash your car and all that stuff. That way you come back. <laughs> so I'm, we've been trekking through the book of Colossians. We just began um, in a series called Making History. So this church is a brand new church. Uh, we just launched, that's church planting terms for we just had our grand opening two, three weeks ago uh, at this point on April 15th. Um, and through that, God has joined us to churches all throughout antiquity who have been planted 
and who have been growing and spreading the gospel throughout the whole earth. So we made history back on April 15th by planting this church. So we want to look at what it looks like to continue to make history. So last week we talked about a history of faithfulness and that those who make history are faithful. This week I want us to look at a history of thankfulness. A history of thankfulness. Turn to your neighbor and just say thank you. Just, just say thank you. I mean, you may not know them, uh, but you can say thank you to them. Um, they brushed their teeth this morning, and they, you know, they made sure that you were okay and that you could sit next to them. So you can say thank you. It's all right. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to be in the third through the eighth verse today. So join me in verse Number three of Colossians chapter one, we'll have it up here on the screen if you don't have uh, a personal copy of the scriptures. Verse three. We always thank God. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. And it came to you bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the spirit. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your words. Your words are life. Father, you speak to us through your word. God, what a powerful reality that we have a God who speaks. What a powerful reality that we have a God who's not too far off that he can't speak to his people. And we thank you for your son for allowing that to happen for those who are in Christ. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that these words, God, that these words, as you promised, these words would not fall on deaf ears, that these words would would not go out void, Father, but I pray, Lord, that your words would be life in God. We know that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, severing the marrow from the bone. And God, I pray that this word would get deep down into the marrow of our souls. And Father, it's, and it's through this that I ask that you would stand in my body and think through my mind and speak through my mouth and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer in whom I trust in Jesus' mighty name. And the whole church said, Amen. I ain't see that. Don't worry about that. I was about to drink the top of the water. That's okay. <laughs> Anybody grow up in church? Anybody? Hands? Anybody grow up in church? When I was growing up in church, the thing I love most about church, one of the things I love most about church, was the old mothers of the church. And there was an old mother of the church. Her name was Mother Calvin. 
I love Mother Common so much because Mother Common will always slip you some candy. She'd have her fist balled up in her purse, and she reached down in that purse, and she'd pull out a whole handful of candy, and she'd be like, come here, baby, come over here. I want to I give you something. And you'd be walking over there like this, and she'd just hand you that whole thing of candy. And you know what kind of candy was in her purse? Them striped peppermints, that butterscotch candy with the yellow wrapper. Like, you, you know what was coming. And sometimes, if you were doing all right, Mother Carvin would slip you a dollar. Now, listen, she slipped you a dollar. You know you was killing it. Like, you knew you was sitting down being quiet in church because she would give you a penny, a quarter sometimes, some dimes, some nickels, so you could run and get some penny candy from the store. Y'all don't know nothing about penny candy. You could run and get some penny candy from the store and do all that kind of stuff. This one time, though, Mother Carvin blew my mind. She said, baby, I've got $10 for you today. I'm like, I'm like eight. I thought I hit the jackpot. Like, I thought I was like winning the lottery. I said, $10. I can go to the corner store. I can get me a cheeseburger and french fry platter. I can get extra mayonnaise and ketchup on the sandwich. I get salt and pepper on the fries. Like, I could just do so much with this $10. And I can get a juice. Like, I'm killing it. So she said, I'm going to give you that $10. And I was bugging her. I said, Mother Calvin, you got that, that 10 you, you got that? Like, you got that $10? She's like, hold on, baby. I'm going to get it to you. Just, just hold on. Mother Calvin walked over to me. She ain't even folded up. She just handed me the straight $10 bill, just, just unfolded. It wasn't even, like, conspicuous. She just handed it to me. And I grabbed it like a baton, and I said, boom. And then my next step was, boom, and I was out the door to go get that cheeseburger and french fry platter from Frank's Deli uh, right there on Broadway in Camden. Uh, so I took off. Now, listen, every time somebody would give me something, my auntie, y'all met my auntie a couple weeks ago. She about that tall, right? She say, did you say thank you? That's the question she always had. Did you say thank you? On this occasion, I, I, I neglected to say thank you to Mother Calvin. And she had gave me such a good gift, and I just, I just forgot to say thank you. So on my way back into the church, I'm happy as can be. I'm thinking I'm killing. I got my bag, and it's got grease on it because the cheeseburger is so – anyway, so it's like I'm walking up the steps, and then I'm walking into the steps to the church. Then there's these big double doors, and you walk through another set of steps, and there's my auntie standing at the top of the steps. And I could tell by how she was looking at me that it wasn't a good situation. So I said, um, hey, auntie. <laughs> um, hey. And so my aunt, she must have wanted to be a ballerina when she was younger because she practiced her pirouette on me that day. And she spun around on one foot and slapped me like that. And then she spun back around and slapped me like that again. Um, and I felt bad. I ain't dropped my bag, though, because I'm a G. <laughs> I ain't dropped my bag. I was like, I'm good. I'm going to hold my cheeseburger. <laughs> but what happened was this. I got so excited about the gift that I forgot the gift giver. Isn't that just like some of us? 
We get so excited about the gifts that God has given to us that we forget to respond to the gift giver. We get the gift of freedom. We can do what we like to do, how we like to do it, when we want to do it. Uh, and God has not confined us to a place where we got to be sneaking around to get to church like our brothers and sisters around the world who got to hide and sneak just to get to church to worship Jesus. We get the gift of relationships where we get to love on other people. We get to spend time with other people how and when we would like. But then we go and we squander those relationships and we oftentimes forget to say thank you to the ones that we love. But I want to submit this idea to us today is that those who make history are thankful. Those who make history are thankful. Join me in verse number three where he says here, Paul is writing to the Colossian church and he's writing to them and he says to them, we always thank God the Father our Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Paul is saying, listen, not some of the time, not most of the time, not part of the time, but always we thank God for you. We oftentimes don't thank God at any times. But Paul is saying, listen, there should never be a time in your life when you do not thank God. See, there should never be one time in your life where you don't get up and you roll out of your bed and you don't say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me breath in my body and the ability to open my eyes and see where this day that you have created specifically for me that you said there are new mercies in this day. Thank you for this day. We shouldn't just go about rolling out our bed, pulling out our cell phone, trying to see what other people think about us. We should stop thinking about what people think about us and start thinking about how we could thank God in a more acceptable way for what he has given to us. So look at this. This word here, God, he says, we thank God for you. It's, this word is to express gratitude. It's to be grateful and to feel thankful for something. So it, this word, though, is also where we get the word Eucharist from. Now, for my friends who grew up Catholic or my Catholic friends who are here, you know what this Eucharist is. Eucharist is the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Eucharist is what they come down with the with the with the little thing with the chain that's you know is smoke coming out the thing, and they they walk down the aisle and they get ready to have. Communion. So, but communion in our understanding is where we eat of the broken bread, which represents Christ's body, right? And we drink the poured out wine, which represents Christ's blood. So, in other words, thankfulness places us in the presence of Jesus. I wish I had some people who, who, who understood what I was talking about, uh, cause I'm preaching better than you understand right now, that thankfulness places us in the presence of Jesus Christ himself. Have you ever noticed that people who are always ungrateful for stuff, they never are grateful about anything. You ask them how they're doing, they just say, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You know, it's, it's all right. Like, bro, you never good. Like, you, you're never doing okay. You're never doing great. Like, you just always okay. They're never grateful. And people don't want to be around those kind of people. Why? Because they don't, they're not thankful. Therefore, the presence of Jesus is not with them. 
Listen here. There are three keys to thankfulness that I want us to understand and walk away from here. The first key to thankfulness is to walk in joy. To walk in joy. See, we are called to have the same joy that Jesus had. What that means for us is this. Is the way that we live thankful lives, if we're going to be history makers, the way that we live our lives, we ought to live our lives in a, in a continual posture of thankfulness to God. And the way that we do that is we wake up in the morning and guess what we choose? We wake up in the morning and we choose joy. See, some of us need to just choose joy. We're always choosing grumbling and complaining. When if we would just wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today, Jesus, I'm going to choose joy. Regardless of what happens to me today, regardless of what goes on in my life today, I will choose joy. And that's not a difficult proposition for us to have, uh, to, 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 to make, but that proposition is simple enough in that we look to Jesus as the source of our joy in the midst of circumstances and trials that may knock us off of our square if we're not paying attention to Jesus. The way that you walk into joy is to have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Next is we surrender in prayer. Surrender in prayer. Paul says we always thank God the Father our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. It's difficult to be unthankful when you pray. It's just difficult to be unthankful when you're praying. It's difficult to be un, uh, ungrateful to people when you're praying for people. See, we, 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 get, we get all tied up in our feels and our emotions. And when, when people don't act how we want them to act, as if we have some power to make people act how we want them to act, we think we're the fourth person of the Trinity, and we are not. But if we were just to pray for people, and if we were to pray to Jesus we would have a more of a propensity to walk in thankfulness. Next is we have to focus our minds. Paul says, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus and how you love all the saints because of the hope that is reserved for you in heaven. And you have all, we have already heard about this hope in the word of the truth, the gospel. When you let your mind wander about, about the day's events, about how the person cut you off on the road, about how the person in the cubicle next to you took credit for some work that you did and they didn't give you the credit for the work. If we continue to just let our minds run back and forth over those things all day long, we just spend our time thinking back and forth about the things that happened to us and the things that didn't go the way that we wanted them to go, we will never be thankful. 
But we have to focus our minds on the reality that Jesus has a plan for our lives and that little setback in the cubicle has nothing to do with the plan and purpose that God has for your life. So we must focus our minds on the things of God. Listen, Paul says here, we heard of your faith. In other words, Paul's saying we've 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 perceived and we comprehend your faith. Like we we get what's going on as it relates to your faith. So here's what I want us to see is that faith thankfulness allows you to perceive what God is up to. Thankfulness allows you to perceive what God is is up to. If you spend your life grumbling and complaining about stuff, you will never have enough focus of mind or insight to see into the things that God has for you. In other words, if you're constantly complaining about what you don't got, you'll never be able to look forward to what God has for you. So we spend so much time focusing on the past. We spend so much time thinking about the things that have affected us negatively and complaining about those things that we don't focus our minds to be able to see that which God is preparing for us. If you aren't thankful, you won't be able to perceive what God is up to. Next, uh, uh, Paul says, we've, we've heard of your faith. We've heard of your character we we've heard of the things that make you reliable what paul is saying to us is this is that thankfulness makes you more reliable see you can't rely on people that grumble and complain because you know why because they're too busy grumbling and complaining you can't rely on those kinds of people but, but Paul is pointing us to the, this reality that if we are thankful, then we will have the character of one who is reliable. Thankfulness puts you in the position to be more affectionate as well. He said, we've heard of your faith in Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. See, people who are thankful, they just enjoy life a little bit more. But people who are thankful, they get to enjoy the benefit of affection towards other people and receiving that affection back. So if you aren't experiencing affection from other people, you probably want to take a look at how you are giving affection towards those people. See, and when you have a posture of thankfulness, it's more easy for you to operate in love because you're not perseverating over the things that would stop you in your tracks from loving those people, even those people who have done you wrong. Thankfulness makes you more affectionate. You ever seen a person who just thankful? They spend time with their family because they're just thankful. And listen, thankfulness doesn't have nothing to do with what you have. 
You can be thankful to God when you've got no money in the bank. You can be thankful to God when your car is broken down because you know that you've spent your time being thankful. Therefore, you've been loving and affectionate. And there are some people who are going to come and give you a ride because you have spent your time not grumbling and complaining, but you've spent your time loving on other people, being thankful for the relationships that you have. Therefore, you're not worried about your car being broken down because you know that you can get a ride from one of your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Then he says, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. See, listen, thankfulness makes you joyfully and confidently expect good from God. That's what hope is. Hope is the joyful and confident expectation of receiving good from the Father. So history makers make history because they have a confident expectation of good. See, people who make history, they're not sitting around worried about what happened, but they're looking forward to what will be. So you can walk around, you know, all ungrateful and all frustrated and mumbling and complaining. And I guarantee you, won't much happen for you. That ain't good English, but that's good theology. I know I got English professors in here checking my English. No, I'm just joking. So, look, you... You can walk around with a spirit of thankfulness. Why? Because you know that whatever happens to you here in this life is not all that there is. I, I wish I had some people who, who understood what I was talking about. See, see, you can receive your bread with thankfulness, whether that bread comes from Ruth Chris or whether that bread comes from uh, McDonald's. Uh, you can receive your bread with thankfulness because you know that you've got a feast waiting for you in heaven. See, I, I, I wish I had some people who were thankful today. I wish I had some folks who understood what I was talking about. See, see, Job, he, he talked to his wife when, when the trials of life start coming at him in Job uh, chapter 2. And he says to her, listen, woman, you speak like a foolish woman speaks. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? See, we walk around thinking that everything's supposed to go our way all the time. We walking around thinking that things should just be exactly how we ordered them to be because somehow we think that we were there on the day of creation when God spoke into the world and said, let there be. We think that we've got that same ability to do in our life and say, uh, uh, let, let me get this promotion. And when the promotion don't come through, you want to look at God funny. But the reality is, is that you didn't get the promotion because you weren't prepared to have the promotion. How I know that? Because promotion comes from God. So if it was your time, if it was your season, we like to talk about that stuff, right? If it was your time and your season for you to have all this stuff, guess what? You would have it. 
You can't expect just good from God. As if he's some cosmic slot machine that we just pull the lever and get what we want. Some magic genie that we can just rub on him when we want something from him. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I need to get back close to Jesus because, you know, I just need some things to go on right in my life. So I, I'm going to start going back to church again. You know, I, I know I ain't been to church in a little while, but I'm going to start going back to church because I just need some things to work out for me in this next season of my life. God ain't no genie. You can't rub up on him and make him do what you want. We can't just accept good. We, we have to know that the adversity that comes in our life is for our good. How I know? Romans chapter 5. He says not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Wonder why you can't handle nothing. Every little thing that happened in your life, you just fall apart. Oh, Jesus, they talk bad about me, Jesus. Get over it. Look. Dig your feet into the ground. Open up your Bible. Pray to your God and gain some endurance to deal with the things of this life. We can stop the sermon right there. Next thing I want us to see is this. That he says to them in verse 5, he says, because of the hope reserved for you and I. Isn't that good right there, though, that we have a hope that is reserved for us? You can't even get reservations at some restaurants around here, and they can't get it right. You call, and you make a reservation, and they still don't have your reservation right. But there is a hope that is reserved for us in heaven. You see, Jesus says that when I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And that place that he's preparing for us, the place is going to be so beautiful. It says that the streets are going to be paved with gold and all that jazz. But what's so beautiful about that place is that we're going to be with Jesus one day. See, if you, if you ain't got no hope, if you don't have no hope in that reality, then you won't be thankful in this life. But Paul says, we've got a hope that is reserved for us. That means that when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a space that's going to have your name on it. There's going to be a crown with your name on it. There's going to be things, a mansion with your name on it. You get to walk into heaven and Jesus is going to say, come on and enter into my fellowship. Come and enter into my courts. So listen, we've got a hope that is reserved for us in heaven. And he says, you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. 
So listen, we walk around as believers as if we haven't even heard about the hope. See, if you are in Christ, you should already know about the hope that you have. Therefore, that hope will ought to guide your life because you already know about it. But we act as if we don't have no hope. We live like we don't know about the hope that we already have. See, listen at this. This, 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 he says you already heard. What he's saying is, he says, listen, I need you to anticipate this hope. I, I need you to anticipate the hope that is reserved for you. Listen, history makers anticipate what has yet to be realized. Therefore, they live their lives thankfully. See, you can't anticipate what you don't see. See, that's our problem, is that we think we're supposed to know every single step that transpires when we are operating in what God is calling us to do. When you don't even believe that, when you start your car, you just get in your car, and y'all got fancy cars, y'all press the button. I still got a key that I turn on. But y'all get in your car, y'all press the button. You don't know what that button does. You don't know how that button starts your car. But guess what? You get in that car and you go to the destination that you were designed to go to anyway. Even though you don't know all the steps about how that car got started. But we want to know every little bit and piece from God. God, how's this going to happen? How's that going to happen? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How are you going to do this? How are we going to go this way? How, how, how? Relax. Get in the car and go. And when you get in the car, be thankful that you got a car to get into. And guess what? If you ain't got no car, be thankful about the two feet that you got that are going to get you to the place where you need to go. And, and I'll submit this, that some of us need to learn how to catch the bus sometimes. And I'm speaking spiritually because we get so spoiled with the car that we have that we forget what it's like to walk. We get so spoiled by driving and riding around in luxury that we get spoiled and think that Jesus is supposed to do that every single time. No, sometimes your butt need to get out of the car and go stand and wait at the bus stop. You don't know what time the bus is coming exactly. You know it's going to come between this window of time, but you get out there and you wait anyway. Listen. He says this, we've already heard about this hope. Where have you heard about it? In the word. See, this mandate and decree from God is where we have our hope. And I submit this, that hope is found in no other place but in his word. If you can't open up your Bible and find some hope for your day, I, I don't know what to tell you. 
if you can't look to the scriptures and reflect and find some hope in these words of our father, I don't know what to tell you. But I'll tell you this. Thankful people are thankful because they believe the word. Thankful people are thankful because they believe what the word says. So in the midst of confusion in their life, they can still be thankful because they believe the word of God. He says, listen, this word is the word of truth. I love this part. This truth is the reality laying at the basis of an appearance of something. What that means is this. Thankful people make history because they believe in the reality of the word of truth despite their circumstances or appearances. One day, a little boy named Zach and his father were they're out in the country and they're, they're climbing some cliffs. Then the father heard a voice above him yell, hey, dad, catch me. And so, old Zach, he just joyfully jumped right off the rock. <laughs> he didn't give his dad an opportunity to get ready to adjust himself. So the father became an instant circus act and ran over to catch his son who jumped off of this rock. What happened was they both fell down to the ground. And so for a moment, the father, he could, after he caught Zach, he was in such disbelief about what just happened that he could hardly even talk. I know I would have been. <laughs> like, when the father found his voice again, he gasped in exasperation, said, Zach, give me one good reason why you would do something like that. And Zach responded with remarkable calmness. He says, sure, because you're my dad. His whole assurance was based in the fact that he knew who his father was. He could live the life. He could live life to the hilt because he knew that his father could be trusted. And isn't that the good news of the gospel? Is that we have a father who can be trusted. So much, so much so that he says, listen, he saw us falling off of that cliff. And when he saw us falling off of that cliff, what he did was he says, I'm going to send my son. Y'all falling off that cliff because of sin. I'm going to send my son to catch you. But instead of his son catching us, his son would be crushed for us. 
And when he fell, when we fell upon him, when our sins fell upon Jesus the Son, he was crushed for us. And we would land, watch this, we would land on soft ground because the ground was now saturated by his blood. So listen, what I'm saying to us today is that we can live thankful lives because we have a Savior. We have a Father who would come and rescue us from the grips of sin, from the grips of hell. He wouldn't let us fall off of that rock, but he sent a a, a lamb to come and die in our place for us so that we could fall on safe ground. That's why we give grace, give, give thanks for the gospel, which has come to us. He says that it came to us, verse 6, bearing fruit and growing all over the world. See, this bearing fruit means to be fertile. So in other words, thankfulness causes us to be fertile. Have you ever noticed that people that seem to have everything that they want, don't they get on your nerves? Like they just living their best life. Like they got everything going on. Like they Instagram be popping. Like, I mean, they just be on it. They was like in the front row at Coachella, like listen to Beyonce, like, you was on the front row too, it was just in front of your TV, that's okay. Hey. <laughs> Listen, we think that they're smiling and thankful because they have everything that they want. But the reality is that they're bearing and producing fruit in their lives because they're thankful. See, we we have it twisted up. We think it's the other way around. We think that if once I get everything that I want, then I'll be thankful. That ain't what the word says. The word says that those who are thankful will receive from God what they want. How I know that? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, meaning that you can ask for what you want, how you do that, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First Thessalonians 5, verse 18 says this, give Thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you're giving thanks to God is you aligning yourself with the will of God. We think that we'll get aligned with the will of God. Once we get everything that we want. And Jesus says, you won't get nothing until you start being thankful. 
So listen, he's telling them, he's saying, listen, when, when you're thankful, I'll make you fertile. When you're thankful, that little small business idea that you have, when you're thankful for those two or three customers that come in, I will make you fertile and you will then have a business that you can't even control because it'll be so much. He'll pour out blessings on you because you are thankful. That's why he says it's growing (laughs) all over the world. Have you ever wondered why that person that you think got everything that they want? And let me pause and say, they don't got everything that they want. You think they do because they put cool filters on their Instagram. And they got a lot of hearts on their Insta story. You don't know that they got a second phone and they need to be tapping on the joint the whole time, making it look like. There's a whole bunch of people on there, John. It's just them with another phone tapping. Anyway, listen. <laughs> if you ever wondered why that person is increasing and you're not, it's because they've practiced thankfulness longer than you have. See, in order for us to see growth, we got to be thankful. If we aren't thankful for what God has already given us, we will never grow. How do I know that? He says, if you're faithful over little, I'll make you ruler over much. So if your financial situation, and I'm not talking about having a lot of money, but if your financial situation is not increasing, that's because you're not exhibiting thankfulness for what you have. Because thankfulness will tell you, well, listen, man, I only got $17 left. Um, I could go to McDonald's or I can get some bread and go to the store because, listen, Jesus gave me this $17 and I can make my own uh, McDouble myself. It won't be as greasy uh, and as bad for me. Uh, but, you know, I can go and I can get it and make it myself uh, and I'll just be thankful for the $17 that I got. And you know what? I'm going to take $1.70 to the church so I can give a tithe of the $17 that I have because I really want to show Jesus that I'm thankful. We'll take your $1.70. We will. But listen, he says, as it's growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. See, here's the problem for some of us. Paul makes a distinction between the day that we heard the word of truth and the day that we came to truly appreciate the word of truth. See, the day that we'll make history as a church is the day that we begin to truly appreciate what God is trying to do through us by his grace, and we respond with thankful cooperation. If you don't truly appreciate, the Greek word means to be thoroughly acquainted with the word of truth. See, some of us just have a cursory knowledge of the word of truth. 
but you better spend some time in your Bible. Here's what you do. You take five minutes every day and say, for five minutes, I'm going to read my Bible. I was going to tell you 15, but y'all won't do it if it's 15. You take five minutes and you read your Bible. Watch how God begins to grow you. Watch how much your appreciation for the word of God will grow. And when your appreciation for the word of God grows, you'll have a thankful cooperation with the word of God. See, you can cooperate with the word when you appreciate the word. See, the reason why y'all don't cooperate with the word, and me too, the reason why we don't do what the word says, my wife said something to me this week, uh, and it just stuck with me. I, I was I was down in, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I had to go down there to do some stuff. And on my way back, I just turned the Bible app on my phone, and I listened to the whole New Testament on the way back from Richmond. So if you ever ride back from Richmond, you can listen to the whole New Testament, just in case you were wondering. So I came in the house. I said, babe, I listened to the whole New Testament on the ride back. And my wife, she says, well, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. <laughs> That's how I married. She said it jokingly. That's why I married her, because she always got good jokes. But she said it to me. But see, here's for free, husbands. You better learn to listen to your wife. You better learn to hear when God is speaking to you through your wife. See, that just little joking, little passing, little remark that we had, like that little conversation that we were having, God used that to speak to me this week to say, how much of the word are you just hearing and not doing? How much of the word are you hearing, and most of the time I'm just hearing the word as I hear myself talk, but how much of the word that I'm hearing am I also doing? That's why Paul says this. He says, you learn this from Epaphras. What Paul is saying here, he's calling us to be in the habit of increasing in our knowledge by the continual practice of cooperating with the word. If you are in the habit, if you are learning to be in the use and practice of the word, then you will never grow in the knowledge and wisdom of the word. In other words, if you don't learn to increase in your knowledge of the word, you won't ever be thankful. Because when that situation on your job looks bad, you get to turn to the scriptures and look at Daniel, who was just out there doing his thing, and he got thrown into a den with some lions. And God delivered him. So when you begin to lean on your word, you begin to understand what God is up to in your life. But more than this, Paul is saying, because he's saying, listen, you learned this from Epaphras. See, Paul's insisted that the whole church of Colossae learned from Epaphras, because he's writing this letter to them, and he's saying, you have learned from Epaphras, was an indication that we need one another in order to make history. If you think that you're just going to make history all by yourself, you are sadly mistaken. 
If you think that you're going to make history, if you think you're going to be, and when I say history, I don't mean just your history. We're defining history as his story. So if you're going to make his story, then you need your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. See, here's what we know about Epaphras. He was a missionary that was instrumental in the founding of the Colossian church. And some other churches in Lycus, but he, he was instrumental in founding and converting the Colossians to Christianity. See, Epaphras made history. His name is here in the Bible, right? But here is what is associated with this history maker. And I want us to see this. Paul refers to Epaphras, this man who started a whole church in a whole city and other churches. He calls him a servant. See, that's the most important fact for us about Epaphras. is to know that he was a fellow servant and he was a faithful servant. When it says here that he was a faithful servant, what it's telling us is that he served the same master as we do. And we've got to learn that deep down in our spirit is that if you are in Christ, that means that the person who's sitting next to you that's in Christ as well, the two of you serve the same master. So if you serve the same master, then that means that you have the same orders because the master gives the, he gives the orders to his servants in order for them to follow out. So the person who's sitting next to you, who's your brother in Christ, who may have wronged you, guess what? The two of you have the same master. Therefore, you have the same orders to love your neighbor even when they have wronged you. Then he says to be faithful in doing that. What that means is you can't decide when you get to be a servant. As a faithful servant, you're a servant from sun up to sun down. Your emotions don't control whether or not you're a servant. Your accomplishments don't determine whether or not you're a servant. The word says that you are a servant. In fact, the word goes so far to say that those who would be the greatest among you will be servants of all. Here's what I want us to see, these two marks, and I'm getting ready to close. These two marks of thankfulness are this. The first mark of thankfulness is obedience. If you are obedient to God, you won't be thankful. And if you aren't thankful, you won't be obedient to God. See how that works? The next is service. If you aren't serving God and others, you won't be thankful. And if you aren't thankful, you won't serve God and others. So Paul is pointing us to this reality here, that those who are thankful are the ones who make history. As I close, I want to share this last little story. If you go down to Florida... You, you, you would have seen a man throwing shrimp into the air. And as he throws the shrimp up in the air, seagulls begin to surround him. 
His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. And he was a World War I veteran. Now, Eddie Rickenbacker, he couldn't fight in World War II because he was already past the age limit and the president didn't want him to serve because he was already too old. But he decided, I'm going to go down and encourage some of the troops anyway. Now, he was an aviator pilot. He had done a whole lot of stuff in World War I. And he says, I'm going to go down here and I'm going to encourage these troops. Now, on the way back, his plane crashed and landed into the ocean. They landed in the raft and they were in a raft for many days. And as they were on the raft, they were running out of clean water and him and the crew were nearing death. So as a Christian man, Eddie Rickenbacker, he said, let's gather together for prayer. So he gathered these men, these, these sailors, these, these pilots, he gathered them together for prayer. And as they were praying, he felt something land on top of his head. And he perceived that what was on his head was a seagull. So he decided, if I can grab the seagull, we can have the seagull for food because they had no food. So Eddie Rickenbacker, he reaches up and he grabs the seagull off top of his head. And him and his mates who are on this raft, they start to pluck the seagull and they eat it. Sorry to my vegan friends, but they plucked it and they ate it. If you were on this raft too, you would pluck the seagull and you would eat it because you'd be hungry. Don't front like you wouldn't eat it. So he grabbed it. I'm sorry. He grabbed it. No, I'm not. Uh, He grabbed it and they plucked it and they took, listen, they plucked it and they took a bite. That sounds gross, but they took a bite. And he passed it around to his mates, and they all took a bite, and they ate. Then Eddie Rickenbacker had the thought that if I take the entrails of the bird, the insides, I can tie a rope around them and use that for bait. So that's just what he did. They cast some some string around it, and they cast it. And they caught fish after fish after fish after fish. And thankfully they did because they remained on that raft for 24 more days. That's a lesson for us. That even when God sends his provision, he may not be through with the trial that you're going through. But listen, for 24 more days, they were on that boat before they were rescued. And they were fine because they caught enough fish in order to be able to sustain themselves until that time. Story has it that if you were to listen closely to Eddie Rickenbacker as he's throwing up the shrimp, you can hear him saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, Eddie Rickenbacker had enough sense to know 
that if something dies for you, you ought to say thank you. And listen, we ought to gain that reality today that Jesus Christ died for us. Therefore, we ought to say thank you to him. And not only that, I want you to see this. As Eddie Rickenbacker is throwing up the shrimp and he's saying thank you to the fish, he's not only grateful for what the for, for what the seagull had done for him, he's not only grateful for the seagull dying for him, but you know what he says? Because you died for me, now I'm going to serve you. Because you died for me, every day Eddie Rickenbacker went out with some shrimp and he served those seagulls because he knew that it was the seagulls that had died for him. And he said, because you died for me, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life with all that I have. I'm going to serve you each and every day. Eddie Rickenbacker went out there and he served those seagulls. What about you? If Jesus has died in your place, if you understand that Jesus died for you, that he went to the cross called Calvary and he gave up his life for you, then you not only ought to say thank you, but you ought to serve him with the rest of your life. Listen, those who make history are those who are thankful and those who are thankful are ones who serve God the Father with their whole lives. We don't just serve him halfway, we serve him with all of our life. Won't you be thankful to him today? Maybe you're in here today and you don't know about the Savior who died. Maybe you're here today and you don't know about the one who gave up his life for you. Maybe you're here today and you never heard about the Savior who came down from heaven and descended on to earth. In the form of a man. So much so that he would come as a baby. And he would say, I am going to fulfill my father's will. Because it was the plan of God that men and women who were apart from him because of sin, because of the sin of our father Adam, who ate of the fruit of the tree that God told him not to eat of. Because of that, each and every one of us are born into sin. And because of sin, we cannot be in the presence of God. Because of sin, we cannot be around God. But God in his infinite wisdom devised the plan. Because he loved us. And he wanted to be with us. He said, I'm going to send my son. And that son was an obedient son. And he went to the cross. The cross was a symbol of torture and defeat to the Romans. But God would turn that symbol around and make it a symbol of victory for those who were lost. If you don't know Jesus today, I urge you to look to the cross. We have a Savior who died for us. He was victorious in dying for us. And the plan of salvation was nailed between his hands. The plan of salvation was nailed into his feet. 
It was pierced into his side. It was dropped onto his head in the form of a crown of thorns. Jesus was humiliated and mocked for us. Marcus led us in that song, King of Glory. The king of the whole earth would come and die just for you. Won't you turn to him today? Won't you put your trust in Jesus Christ today? If you don't know Jesus today in the pardon of your sins, if you have not had the opportunity to say that I'm a sinner and I need his grace and I want to put my trust in him today, I want to urge you to do that today. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. We've got folks who are in the back. They're waiting to receive you today. They'll walk you through what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. They'll talk to you about the first steps of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. But it starts with you trusting him. Won't you trust him today? He's a good savior. Won't you trust him today? He's a good father. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to put your trust in Jesus today, I ask you to slip up at this time. There are men and women in the back waiting to receive you. We don't have a whole lot of rules for you to follow Jesus. The only rule of following Jesus is faith in him and in his word. Is there one today? Is there one? Let us pray. Father, thank you for your love. God, you reached down from heaven to save us. And you didn't do that for us. The scripture says that you did that for yourself. What an awesome God. You had no need of us. We had nothing to offer you. But you came and you died for us. God, may we have enough sense. May we have the good sense of Eddie Rickenbacker to say thank you. And as we say thank you, May we serve you with our whole life and everything that we are. It's in Jesus' mighty name that I pray with thanksgiving.